Jed Banger's Ball. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Jed Mayhew. Today's episode, we have Carlos Nino. He's a DJ, producer, Los Angeles native, all-around good guy, welcoming, friendly, connecting, spiritual. We're both running a little bit late today to do the interview, so we had to shorten it um, a little bit shorter than, than the normal Jed Bangers Ball podcast, but uh, we have a special treat for you at the end. Uh, it'll be revealed during the interview, so so stick around. Don't, uh, don't turn your computer or your phone off uh, until the end of the interview like you normally do. I know that you immediately switch, switch off your computer and go to bed satiated as soon as your uh, episode of Jed Bangers Ball is over. Before we get to Carlos, though, uh, I just want to I want to I want to say hi to a few of our past guests that we've had and and kind of clue you guys into some of the things that are going on. Um, Calvin Lee Reader from episode two, the second episode of Jet Bangers Ball. Um, he's just out at Sundance. He had a short film there called The Procedure that uh, he did like a Kickstarter for it and bunch of people put in some money and went up to Seattle and, and shot it with some friends of his that he's been working with for years. Uh, but they won the award for Best American Short Film uh, for Sundance 2016. So congrats to him. Um, I know he's going on to do more with it, but uh, I'm not sure if I'm at liberty to say so yet. <coughs> Josh Landau of The Shrine, um, episode four has a new album out. It's called Rare Breed. Uh, it's on Century Media Records. Uh, they they played a release show the other night down at the Chun in L.A. And and uh, I was actually in Vegas with Zigzags playing the show the night, so we missed it. But uh, I heard there were strippers there. Uh, I heard there were American flags. There were armor, army helmets. Uh, there was a palm tree mosh pit. So uh, if you went to that, congratulations. If not, um, catch them the next time they play. But that's... Uh, Rare Breed is the new album. And last but not least, Ty Siegel, episode 5 of Jed Banger's Ball, if you want to go back and listen to that, that's a good one. He has a new album out. Uh, you might have seen him recently on the Colbert Report, uh, or, or whatever the Colbert show is now. Colbert, what, I don't know how you say it. But. New album out, Emotional Mugger on Drag City Records, so... Go pick up those uh, records, and, and, and if you see uh, The Procedure by Calvin Lee Reader playing in a theater near you, go check it out. Uh, it's only about three minutes long, but it's uh, it lasts with you. Your eyes will, will witness it for three minutes, but, but it'll stick in your brain for a long time after. But enough about those past guests. Let's get to Carlos Nino. Thanks for listening. See you in a minute. You grew up out in Woodland Hills, though. That's where you're from originally, right? I was born in Santa Monica. And uh, a couple of my best friends and like uh, elders are born in the same hospital, which was kind of cool. Right. And uh, I'm just saying that because it's funny when I think about it. The few people that I know that are from L.A. that I'm closest with were born in the same hospital at St. John's. Um, I grew up in Reseda, which I like to say is where the Karate Kid is from. Uh huh. Because uh, a lot of people don't know Reseda. Was he from there originally, or is that no, where he moves to? He moved there. <laughs> where was he from originally? He got his fame there. Oh, he's from like know. the he's like from like the East Coast. He was like from Jersey, totally. And yeah. so then he gets culture shocked in to Reseda. 
Yeah, and then um, you know a lot of uh, P.T. Anderson movies uh, depict the San Fernando Valley, um, and I think that's where he's from, somewhere there. Um, so yeah, uh, Reseda, and then the city. Spent a lot of time in um, Silver Lake, Echo Park, downtown. But yeah, um, Woodland Hills, where I live with my family, is is wonderful. I'm happy to be there. I built a studio out of our well, n- not unlike the where we're sitting right now in this great like back house yeah it's kind of what i did there that's a cool yeah. thing about the valley and then in the sense that you do have a little bit of space to do stuff like that because we had uh tom monahan on you know tom right i know him a little bit i know him uh he he i liked his work with uh lavender diamond uh early on and then I know he worked with my friends, uh, The Long Lost, and that's the extent to which I know him. But The Long Lost is Daedalus and his wife, Laura okay. Darling. Yeah. Because he lives out in Sherman Oaks. Oh, good. And he uh, has the same, very similar setup to like what we're looking at here right yeah. now. And I'm sure, I'm guessing kind of like yours as well. And I think, you know, he's recorded a bunch of records out there, like uh, the Devendra stuff. And, oh, good. Uh, uh, Eric Johnson and the Fruit Bats and Vetiver and, Very and cool, all yeah. those records and uh, I've recorded with him out there and it's a, and it's a cool little spot and I think I think he you know wanted to move but being out in the valley you you have a little bit more space I love it it's like citrus trees again not like uh, you know just like uh, here where we are in Eagle Rock uh, that nice orange tree with citrus. And I, I'm the kind of person that uh, has such a social work. Like I, I've been involved in presenting concerts and running music venues since I was like 18 years old. Um, well, I guess was I 18? Yeah, I was kind of underage. Uh, in the yeah, beginning you were 18. Room. I know that because you were doing it. You started doing radio stuff in '94. What I was looking it up. And, yeah, and it was just funny to me because you're four years older than me, and I started doing music stuff like in 98 as soon as i got out of so high right school there, yeah yeah totally but i remember being involved in venues that i wasn't even really old enough to be in but that i was presenting things in and and so the the thing for me is with that um social involvement which which i am uh open to and pretty good at I also don't like to like walk out of my door and go to the store and run into like 10, 15 people that I know. Right. And, and it's not that I don't like people, but <laughs> it, it's funny. I'm, I'm, I'm very Aquarius and, you know, Aquarians are largely uh, thought of as humanitarians, but I'm sort of a hu- humanitarian who isn't always that interested in humans. So I think I think that's kind of something that I'm dealing with. And the valley is great for that because I don't really talk to a lot of people in the valley. Uh, and there is space and we do have a swimming pool. And, you know, my son is there. My cousin is currently living with us. You know, it's, it's kind of like a family. It's a more pad. family thing. Yeah. It's like a family pad. Yeah. Right. So I love driving out there, though, just when I have to go out there for whatever reason. And just I, I really pay attention to uh, the signage and the restaurants and the liquor stores because it does feel like an older time that hasn't changed as much as the rest of LA, you know, you, especially this side of town and, and the further east you go, it just seems like it gets newer and newer and newer. If you go out towards the valley, it's, it seems like how it, it's been for a long time. Yeah, I, I think uh, um, some of the other cities in um, California and maybe on the west coast of the US that I like better um, don't have this one thing that the valley has that I'm hoping 
changes, which is these really ugly kind of uh, mini mall kind of uh, corner strip um, like design, like boxy, very ugly. Like like you, you know, I, I I'm thinking in like uh, San Francisco or Oakland or Portland. The the normal corner thing would be kind of hip with actual wood and right. windows and some some decor, some sense of like, hey, this should actually feel like something. It should have some energy. And the valley does not have a lot of that. Well, that's an LA thing in general, though. It is only an LA thing in LA. In do you true, go to man. like really nice restaurants next to like a laundromat and a Seven Eleven in a weird little parking lot? Yeah, and it's just it, it, it's it's weird to me because it doesn't need to be like that. It doesn't benefit anybody. It, do, it like it might be cheap, but there are better cheap ways to pull that off. To me, you know, so. Uh, other than that, I think uh, I like the valley quite a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like it yeah. for what it is, man. It just yeah. reminds me of a, it. Reminds me of like growing up in the '80s. I mean, I grew up outside of Portland, and it was, doesn't it doesn't look like that at all. But just you know, just the feel of it when I'm out there, it just reminds me. It, it goes in and out of being hip too, just like my beard, right? Like when beards are in, because I always have a beard and I've always had a beard except for maybe for a year and a half when my son was born, I, I cut it off and I kept it off. But beards go in and out of being like really exciting to people. They'll be like, oh my God, I love your beard. And I'm like, okay, well, I wonder, you know, did you feel that way last year too? And it's all good, you know, but the Valley kind of does that too. Like sometimes it's like, like awful to be from the valley like people right. are like oh my god that's the worst place now it's like people are like oh cool like you're from the valley or or you live out there oh there's this cool thing happening or whatever so it's just funny because well, you know, so the valley is like la's beard <laughs> kind of <laughs> it kind of is <laughs> the yeah. beard of la and i'm partial to them so so maybe it's perfect for me weird you know? food gets stuck out there you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> So backing up then, I wanted to, where's your, you grew up here, but where's your family from originally? My father is from Colombia. Uh -huh. He came to uh, Los Angeles in 1965. He was um, a young professional soccer player um, there who wanted to come to UCLA and study and was very uh, politicized. He was interested in, you know, getting an education here, going back to Colombia and being a revolutionary. Which well, he must have been happen. involved with, like, I mean, that whole soccer thing with, uh, you know, uh, the Colombian soccer team. I mean, that's a that's a famous story, right? Like, so he wasn't he wasn't uh, per se like on the national team, but could, well, I just mean in general, been, the oh, yeah. whole feeling of that well, the culture there is, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, you know, throughout most of the world, yeah. I mean, it's a big deal, and he was he was a talented guy. He came here, and at that time they didn't have a pro league, but he did play. This, in the semi-pro league, he did get scouted for uh, professional football, American football, to be a kicker. Oh, wow. And, you know, he studied at um, UCLA, met my mom, and, you know, they, they hit it off. And my mom is a California beach girl. She's, um, you know, class of 1965 at, the, um, at Palisades High School, where the birds played her prom, and, uh, you know... Um, couple doors down from where she lived uh the beatles stayed and she as a like young kind of teenager you know hopped the fence and went and chatted them up when they were in town she was a go-go dancer at the whiskey 
you know, like all that stuff. She didn't go to a lot of great concerts. She wasn't super into the music, but she's into music, though. Yeah. You know? Both of them are really into music. My dad went to more concerts, you know. My dad would tell me about The Doors and, um, you know, seeing Buffalo Springfield and various other groups that he was really into. And that's that, that, that's fun to hear about, you know. I mean, if you're going to be here, I mean, you, <laughs> well, that's the thing. Whenever geez. I have people on the show that are that are from here, their stories of growing up are so much more interesting than everybody else's. Like when we had Jimmy Hay on, it's kind of a similar thing. He lived in a weird communist commune, and you know, I want to have Farmer Dave on. who's a good buddy of yours, obviously. Yeah, and you know, I love Jimmy. And uh, <clears throat> but you had good air being outside of portland in oregon i mean you yeah had that's really all we had you had you had you had special greens also the col- <laughs> the color green in in oregon is uh is, is 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 really magnificent man i just well yeah but i just mean like people's folks that grew up here for sure you know no, in the know. 60s yeah. to be here yeah. you know and that and that's where everybody was trying to get to you know totally. so you you were lucky to, the, the, and they were lucky that they were here during that. So, is that kind of where your introduction to music come, came from? Then your, my your... calling with music has been sort of independent of my family from the moment that I uh, was conscious. I knew that I was going to be involved in music, that I was going to be involved in community organizing. Um, everything in my life has been what I refer to as on like a, a slow releasing ascension. Like I, I've never really taken a step backward as a, as a kid. I was not the kind of person who was like, Oh, I'm trying to figure out who I am or what I want to do. Like that never happened. In fact, I had issues uh, maybe emotionally with being so different than most kids who were kind of trying to figure out what they wanted to do. when I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to be in radio from very early on in my life because I just felt like the medium of radio was so powerful, like to to communicate, to share um, the things I was getting turned on to by radio was, 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 was electric. What were you listening to radio wise? Like were there DJs or definitely? Yeah. Um, I was mostly listening to hip hop radio, like um, specifically where I lived, I could get the fly ID show, which was uh, presented by, um, a pretty legendary but no longer on the planet cat named uh, Rob One. Um, I would listen to KLON, which at that time was a, a, a for real jazz station. And I was I was rocking a lot of cassettes and a lot of uh, vinyl at that time, like, you know, things that I would dig for, but not so much things that I inherited. So I had uh, one first cousin who is um, maybe 13 years older than me, and I was always interested in impressing him. And he turned me on very early on to like Miles Davis and John Coltrane, but then also to like Weather Report and some of the more progressive things that I would get into. And wanting to impress him, I would just, I would go to like the warehouse and I'd go to Tempo and I would either buy or steal cassettes and I would listen to them. I would like literally listen to them. So I was like going for it yeah. early, you know? Yeah. And he came around every once in a while and would see my tape collection. I, I, I must have had like the hippest non-inherited right. tape collection for a kid who did not have a real allowance. It's not like, you know, I was being taken to the store and saying, hey, get whatever you want. I did get that when I was even younger with like Star Wars action figures. I was sort of spoiled on that level. But when it came to cassettes yeah. a few years later, no, that was done. You know, they were like 
no, you fend for yourself. You figure it out. Right. But so for me, music was always central. It was always something that I was drawn to. It was always something I felt I was never, I never excelled at performing or playing. Um, and I think a lot of that had to do with my attention span. I, I had piano lessons at a certain point. Um, I was really interested in the trumpet because of trumpet players. I was listening to jazz trumpet players. Um, and, and early on, I was always into a lot of music. And then I started to get real snobby by, by maybe late junior high. I was like snobbed out, you know, by the first time I went to Did anyone records, care? Did anyone care that you were snobby in junior they high? Thought, about- they thought I was cool. Cause I knew a lot about music, but I, I don't think that anyone cared. No, right. no. Was your dad ever trying to get you to play sports or anything? Oh, yeah. And I used to play soccer. Um, my sister, who would kind of mimic, she's three years younger than me, she would kind of mimic anything I would do. She was really down. She was like a really cool sister to have. Um, and, you know, if I was going to play soccer, she'd play soccer. If I was going to ride bikes, she'd ride bikes. If I was going to skateboard, she would skateboard. So I used to do all of those things. I'm saying that to say that she really excelled with stock, with soccer. Um, followed in my dad's footsteps. I was I was decent, but then when I became a skater, it was like right. forget it. The team, the sure. uniform, it's so. Well, I played I, baseball. I had the same thing. And as yeah. soon as we all started skating, they also said you weren't allowed to skate because they were worried that you were going to like break your arm or something. Yeah, it's forget a sports it, thing. But it, and as soon as we got any like pushback as far as like being told, because up to that point you're playing sports, you're thinking like, oh, this is just fun. I'm hanging out with my buddies. As soon as they're like. Yeah, you're not allowed to do this certain thing, or if you get caught smoking, you're off the team. Totally. As soon as that happened, we all just fucking quit. Way too rigid. Started playing guitar. Yeah, totally, totally, exactly. Started having band practice and like, and yeah. then just walk through the halls, and then they'd be like, "Hey, are you coming out for football practice?" Right? Nah, we're good now. Yeah, yeah. As soon as that pushback happens, and you're my that sister, age, my sister, if she'd been committed and decided not to become like a serious stoner. Would probably be a professional <laughs> soccer player. She decided to become a serious. Well, star. I mean, I, I, like, like I think there was literally a moment where she said, where she could have said, right. "I could go full on." She was on two club teams. She was the star of her school team. She was like traveling the whole deal. At that moment, I think she was like, "I'm more into smoking and kind of doing something else." But she still plays. Yeah, you know, she plays co-ed, indoor and outdoor soccer. I mean, she's like, she's like a serious soccer player. So. Probably plays a lot of video game soccer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, so that, that that that's amazing. But like, so you were collecting tapes. Yeah. You were, when did you start like digging for vinyl? Like, how did how did that come about? Because Vin- that's like a very vinyl was really thing. part of like the hip hop culture, which I was really interested in at the time. And I think what broadened my horizons to most music was the concept of sampling. Like, like I really got into and 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 in, in my era, the reverence for a DJ was really serious because a DJ was a record collector. It was also somebody who was interested in sharing music. Um, and, and, and saying like, oh, hey, check this out or check out how I'm mixing this in. And, and so radio interest in DJs and being a DJ, et cetera, et cetera, all led to records. Cause that's, the, that's, that was the format, you know, records. And the first records I was buying were 12 inches, you know, like, like hip hop 12 inches, right. but like specifically native tongues. I'd say like, that was like. That was what hit for me, A Tribe Called Quest, De La Soul, Jungle Brothers, like classic stuff like that. But then their sampling, 
you know, anything from like Lou Reed to Lou Donaldson. So you're sitting there going like, who are these guys? And right. I'm like, oh, I know the Velvet Underground. I have a couple of their tapes, you know. Oh, I've heard of this. But, you know, it's it's the kind of thing where you quickly it's a treasure start connect, map. connecting the dots. Yeah, it is, you know. Yeah. And and it can be really fun. And, and also to the credit of a lot of the hip hop guys and a lot of the DJs, um, they were interested in kind of sharing that. In a lot of their raps, they would be shouting out names. So I'd be listening to names and going like, oh, what's that name? Who, who is that? Oh, okay, that's a, that's like a African leader, um, you, you know, by the name of Marcus Garvey. Okay, I'm going to check him out. But but then but then over there, they're talking about this guy. He turns out to be a bass player. And I'm like, who who do you play with? Oh, he played on that record. And I'm right. going to get his own, you know, so... That that's a that that was a really wonderful thing and 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 it's this pre-internet, with the internet that just goes insane. Sure. Because we can locate anything at any time. We can locate someone that has something that no one else has and share with them or trade with them, you know. And and that's uh, I'm into it. I, I really am. Like I think uh, all of it applies. I'm not I'm not a purist per se, except for that. I like the quality to be good, you know? Well, I like that. I like it in the sense of like, you know, doing this interview with you, like when we're all done and I put it up, I can like fucking put your link to DubLab on there. And then yeah. someone who's listening can just click on the thing and then they can find out more about, you know, yeah. you or whatever. And that, yeah. that's kind of the whole point of it. And then they can, you know, uh, talk shit about Obama and say how much you suck at the bottom of yeah, it. Yeah, right. <laughs> you, you, no, it's funny though, because like, uh, it, this generation, though, sometimes I listen to bands and I'm thinking like, man, these guys sound like they're influenced by a whole world of music that they have access to because of the Internet. Sure. Which is really different than it was, you know, when we were growing up and we might have been able to get like one or two records at a time and we had to wait for records to come out and only certain things would come to the store and all of that and 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 you really sat with the record and lived with the record in a different way for sure know? and for me like what you were saying about like the hip hop guys shouting out people for me it was like buying punk records and then looking on the inside and seeing like flyers totally in there yeah. and then seeing the names of the other bands on the flyers that this band played with yeah. and then going and trying to find those records totally. you know the flyer the culture is amazing. A friend oh, yeah. of mine who I'm not going to mention just spent $30,000 on a flyer and poster collection, which is now going to be like a nice little addition to his much larger collection. So it's serious. And Does I, he live I, in Venice, this guy? No. Oh, okay. but, 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 they're, but But the Vice magazine guys are having a party at my little space in Venice tonight. Um, and they did an article on a, on a bro who you probably know. Who, who made that book. Um, right. Uh, fucked up in photocopy. Exactly. Yeah. And I met him in Venice. Sure. Super cool guy. I can't he, remember his name. He's a super nice guy. But first introduced to him because somebody's like, hey, this guy over here, this heavy punk rock collector, you always, every time I see you, you remind me of him. You, you guys should meet. And then he's like, come here, meet each other. And, and then I checked out his book and I was like, wow. And there's another bro of ours in San Francisco. Um, and man... Great, I'm just like spacing on all the names. <laughs> <I> know, <that's, laughs> He's a heavy punk, punk rock collector too. too, and it's yeah. like they refer to it as like, yeah, I collect paper or I collect cassettes or I collect, you know, singles, you know. So like, it, it, it goes really deep, you know. The 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 collecting world is 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 its I, own genre of, now, of, yeah. of everything, <laughs> just like everything else. I love, I love them all. So going back to so when you got out of high school, then you started 
DJing like at the radio station, right? Before high school ended, before I, I was uh, already sort of promoting events at a really strange but kind of amazing venue called Luna Park, um, which was on Robertson, and it was in like full on like Euro gay kind of dance uh, West Hollywood. I say all that just to say that like it eventually I was like, what am I doing here? I was like, none of my peers are here. Like, this is so weird. Like, but they would have incredible shows amidst all of the scene. So like the scene just seemed weird, but then they were an amazing venue. So I was, I was promoting events there <laughs> Did, did that sound like uh, bigoted? That's so funny. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, like, I get what you're saying. No, you, you, you're you're trying to find. I mean, it was not... people that are interested in what yeah. you're interested in, and maybe their their interests outside of the music are totally different than yours. You know, and and and, and it was an affluent scene, sure. and I was like a kid and whatever. But so I was already promoting events there. I was doing events with a place in downtown, which actually had a, a bit of a punk rock uh, thread through it too, called the Peace and Justice Center which was a uh an artist squat and and it was a, a an old uh, church building that was taken over by um a collective of artists and 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 one um elder gentleman who'd been involved in Radiotron um you know back in the day which is one of the legendary Los Angeles punk experimental and hip hop clubs all in one like like that is it's called radio or radiotron where was that at it was uh downtownish it was before my time but okay. but if you look that up the stories about that are amazing and all of the LA punk scene that you know about was involved there they right. they were they all went through there um it's depicted in the movie Breakin' because that's where they go to do their breakdance battles and Ice-T is the host. And that's like 83, 84, something like that. But but there's less, I, I mean, more interesting history than that even that, that you'll hear about with that. So that, so, there, so that was a downtown scene. So I was kind of in this parallel of like this kind of weird West Hollywood kind of island, which was Luna Park, and then the Peace and Justice Center, which was downtown, and then KPFK which I'd got gotten involved in um, also before high school ended. So right. all of that was kind of happening. Did you show up and just say, like, I want to intern? Or exactly, you yeah. all of that. Yeah, I just, I just I showed up and said, what can I do? Specifically, though, the story with Luna Park was kind of amazing for me because it came via my travels up to the Bay. And again, I was playing trumpet at the time, and um, I was hip to Don Cherry. Um, Don Cherry, great trumpet player who was with Ornette Coleman for a long time, but who for people who are listening to this podcast may be more familiar with as the primary film score composer for like The Holy Mountain, and he's made so many great records. And I got to meet Don Cherry and hang out with him, and his manager at the time was running a little record store that actually mostly sold cassettes and CDs. And I went into this record store and I was like, oh, my God, like, that's Don Cherry right there. Long story short, they started, um, they told me that they were trying to put together a a collection of Don's music, like, on vinyl that he, you know, just never kept over the years. So, you know, for months, I would send them records that I would find that were, that Don Cherry played on or that Don had. And then they were coming down to do an event with this Moroccan artist named Hassan Hakmoun. Um, and they said, would you promote it for us? And I was probably 17 years old. Yeah. So this was like my first opportunity. There were people involved in that show that I would later become 
closely involved with who I still work with to this day um you know and and, and it was great you know so like 20 plus the years later and and yeah so so it all kind of happened though from me being very like what's what what's up what can I do what can I get in on you know so rather than being more like from the band side where I was like a young musician um who was playing a lot of music and my band was able to get in. It was kind of, I was getting in with like the elders. I was getting in because I knew a lot of, about music because I was listening so much to music and studying, you know, records and recordings and connecting the dots that way. And the music making part of it was always kind of there, but was not totally, you know, um, central like it is now. Right. Know? Yeah. And, 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 and so how long does it take while you're, at the radio station before they're like, wow, look at this kid. He knows so much. Like we're going to give him his own show or, or you're, you're able to it happen your- really quickly, but only because I was so, um, like go getter. And because somebody dropped out of a show and they're like, yeah, you, you, you're the one who's been bugging us. Like we'll give you one shot. It's a two hour show with no experience, no nothing. Try it out, you know? And it's for one week only. And, uh, and it, and then that became my radio show. Yeah. My first radio show. And what like, was it called? It was called All at One Point, which is a direct uh, reference to a, a short story in the Italian writer Italo Calvino's book Cosmic Comics, which is a which is a really awesome book. <laughs> Super awesome book that has a lot of different covers and most of them are quite psychedelic. Right. Yeah. So how long does the show end up running then? So I had multiple shows at that station. Because um, you had like interview shows too. You were doing something similar like this too. Like you were interviewing artists and all of it was music based. Right. So any interviews I was doing, there was there was there was there were music shows. So, sure. So so you know if I had somebody on, they would come on and it would be most of the time we'd be talking over music, you know, or you know they they'd be in and. Um, I was on KPFK with various shows for 20 years, like like exactly 20 years. I volunteered there maybe a year before that, leading into it, and you know, yeah. But I, but I'd say it was it was almost this perfect little 20 year run from '95 to 2015, from when I was 18 to when I was 38. It was like boom, that was it, and that's one of the reasons why I decided to leave um, the show which was later, you know, on a different day and, and called Spaceways Radio, um, I decided to leave it because I just sort of felt like that was a great milestone. I was like, I hit 20 years. I'd been volunteering there since I was like 16, had a show since I was, you know, 18, um, you know, roughly like, like yeah, like probably, I, I was probably like almost 17 and then just 18. When, I don't know. Stuff, Is the station like still around then? Oh, big time! Yeah, yeah. And and the and the um, the station is um, you know historic. It's prestigious. Um, it, it's been around since ninety point uh, seven, right? Nineteen fifty nine, and it's one of the most you know progressive stations in the history of California and maybe the history of the the United States. And the current um, the time slot that I had, um, I gave to J Rock of the Beat Junkies, who's a uh, one of the great DJs on the planet, you know? So that was really nice to be able to pick the person that I was going to bring in. It was kind of really important to me to like leave in the right way. And they supported all of my ideas for that, which I I am very grateful for. And so 
you were already DJing and doing stuff with Dub Lab before. I'm one of the founders of Dub Lab. Right. So like from my radio show that I was just talking about all at one point, I get a call from the guys who are going to start Dub Lab saying like... So it's G- like Frosty and... Frosty and his partner was John Buck. Uh-huh. And John was the financier who was interested in this idea of what internet radio could be and found Frosty, who at that time was at the USC station. And... Um, what year was that? 99. So can can you tell us a little bit about Dublab for the people that don't know what it is exactly? Or? Yeah, so Dublab started off as an internet radio station that was going to follow the model of like terrestrial radio, but be online where people were live on the air uh, every day, and we were, um, and and there were five of us that were there. I think there were four or five of us that were there every day. Um, and then after the block programming, which was, you know, like, like I was on maybe, uh, two to four every day or noon to two every day, something I don't remember exactly, but at a certain point, maybe six o'clock from six o'clock until midnight, there would be a different show in two hour blocks every night, you know, and, and that's kind of more like what, well, actually Dub Labs programming right now is somewhat similar to that. It was a very progressive, um, there wasn't anything like that happening at the time, no, really. No, and 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 so because internet radio became big so fast, even though it ended up all crashing like within like a year, there was a point where somebody was offering us a million dollars for Dublab. So it was like over, you know, like 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 these, the, the, this inflated idea of what internet radio was before internet radio had even been able to to establish itself. Right, and. To Dublab's credit, they persevered, but they persevered primarily because they became like a collective, like the group of people that Frosty brought together, which we then all contributed to. Um, I, I was, for instance, involved in putting together Dublab's events um, for the first couple years, and I was involved in bringing in a lot more live segments and artists that were not so much in the 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 main dub lab um um genre or theme early on was sort of electronic you know um and now to me dub lab is better than ever it's more diverse than it's ever been i i, I love dub lab i just started doing a new show uh, with dub lab fairly recently so right yeah yeah i mean I, I i mean i've dj'd on there before and and played on there and and done events with them too and and not nearly to the extent of you obviously but it's always it's a really interesting crew and and for people that don't know we should definitely check out com. it's a very I, I remember living in seattle and working at sub pop and i would hear about oh yeah there's this like internet radio thing and being like what what the fuck is that you yeah know? like oh there's radio on the internet you know and then also just like yeah this guy frosty you know and and, <laughs> and just in my mind i was like this guy named frosty from la who's a dj right and i was just like oh man it's gonna be this like big black dude or whatever and then i get down there it's just like this like little white dude or whatever right and right, i just right. i had this whole idea of what it was built up in my mind and it and it and it totally uh, was bigger than what I had in my mind, you know, and, and continues to be <clears throat> a super important part, I think, of just like the world's music scene in LA, especially, you know, since. Yeah, and I mean, they have here. satellite stations in Tokyo and in Amsterdam and I think in Berlin, and it's, uh, it's a great thing. And, and, and I think, um, 
people really rally behind it because they're able to express themselves and just be, you know, open. And, and if you get invited to do a show or you guest on a show or you have your own show, um, you're not censored. You're able to just sort of, uh, express yourself and, and, and that's, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I this event, you mentioned Farmer Dave earlier. We just did this event, uh, at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion. You know, Dub Lab's also been, a, a f- like, like at the forefront of, taking over prestigious venues like museums or you know stuffy theater spaces and saying like we're going to do like alternative programming in them and i i, I love that i i have to say that i've been involved in that like been involved in being a part of dub lab doing that so i so i feel very proud of that but more than anything dub lab itself with all of its various contributors have 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 done that in la like I mean, they like you're like they played there, where? right? You guys are at Disney Hall, like on the main stage, and in like the founders' rooms, playing like bugged out music. You had a band where you know, like we can say that about like most of the places in Los Angeles. I mean, I, I, there are very few places I can think of that we haven't done things from like you know doing the all nighters at at LACMA, where I'm literally setting up like these psychedelic dj parties in front of like the the you know contemporary expressionist paintings mm-hmm. you know it's like what awesome yeah. that's the way it should be dub lab has been very like you know like like a major force in getting that to happen you know using these spaces and their budgets in alternative ways which which i'm all for i love that right i wanted to talk to you about you collaborating with other musicians and playing music yourself, you know, or I don't exactly know what it is you do. I mean, as far as engineer, producer, remixing, I explain that a little bit. I I'm, mean, I'm kind of a conjurer, a summoner and, uh, like a storyteller. I mean, a lo- like I, I, I would describe my own personal music as like, space collage hybrid like i i literally could get you know in my own <laughs> in, in my you know in the privacy of my own um world or my own my own space behind any instrument and find things and make things and make those things into other things and then have people play with them like i do write music also but it's not like i'm writing music the way my friends who I would consider to be songwriters or orchestral composers the way they do it. I get to it in a totally different way, but I get to it and I do it all the time. So like I do sing sometimes and I do write lyrics and I do write out parts for bands that I've led and I do lead bands and I do play with the bands, but I'm not in any way one of what I would consider to be like one of the great instrumentalists in any of those bands. So for me, it's kind of like a multifaceted um, producer is what I would what I would consider myself. But my my playing as a musician has been expanded uh, largely, especially in the live setting over the last couple of years. When I joined my friend's band, his name is Miguel Atwood Ferguson, um, and he and I work very closely together. He's an orchestral arranger. He's a multi instrumentalist. He leads an ensemble that. Um, you know, people like Kamasi Washington, and uh, we were just in the studio with Pino Palladino, the the great bass player, 
and lots of great young and elder musicians come through that group um, and and get together and play. And I am probably best described as like the esoteric percussionist. I I play um, a lot of cymbals, gong, lots of bells, um, wood things, metal things, things that I make, things that I collect and I create. You know, I foreshadow things, I answer things, and it makes a difference. A lot of the music that I would consider to be into would be spiritually based music. So whatever genre it might be, it's like very soulful and maybe interested in upliftment. And a lot of the instruments that I collect speak to that. They speak to mystical realms, uh, consciousness, and just an expansive uh, experience. And, and so, like, I'm now, in the last few years, bringing a lot of that to my friends' groups. Right. Yeah. Because I remember you came into the restaurant I was working at, and you were going out to play the Desert Days Festival. And, and was this with these same people, as far as uh, the band that you were putting together, or... You were you were facilitating something when you told me about these like so like in that in in, in that event which we actually didn't it happen. didn't happen because yeah. the instruments were tell me why I mean there, we don't have to there, go too far into yeah, it no. because it didn't happen but there's a great elder he was based here in Los Angeles for a long time right now he's in Mexico City his name is Luis Perez Ichonetsli and he's a, a an elder uh, um, who who is probably the most profound like mystical Mexican musician that's alive on the planet. And he plays instruments, some of which that are thousands of years old. And, right. and, and what I was understanding, what I would have played in that, for instance, is I probably would have had um, a gong, maybe two or three cymbals, uh, maybe a tom drum, like a, like, a, like a surdo drum, like a big bass drum. Um, I would have had uh, a couple of baskets full of percussion instruments, you know, like like uh, what people refer to as toys, but I like to refer to them more as like sounds, you know. Right. Um, and I would have been involved in a score that Luis prepared that would also have featured um, a more drum-oriented percussionist um, named Christopher Garcia, who Farmer Dave and I played with uh, downtown. So like what I'm doing is is really like um uh being a percussion colorist and being a guide and sometimes being a support for the music. You yeah. Know? Like I really like honestly I could play with anyone. What I'm what I'm doing, I could sit in with anyone and add a whole other layer. Right. So that's my question. You know? So you're taking maybe these sort of more spiritual instruments or traditional or whatever you want to call them. And then maybe adding them to somebody like Flying Lotus or something like that that you that you work with or, or someone like that. I don't know. That like, that, that that could happen. Something yeah. like that. You I, know, I, as I, example. Uh, yeah, no, no, that would be a good example. I don't work with Flying Lotus, but I know him well and and have known him for a long time, and we never collaborated in that way, but we definitely could. And there are other people that are kind of in, in our same community that I have definitely done that with. The The project that I work on most regularly is called Carlos Nino and Friends. And so say I have a setup uh, in, my, in my space that might have like four keyboards that I like. Um, I have a massive wind chime set. I collect uh, chimes, bells, like 
you know, all kinds of things like that. I have a lot of symbols, rare symbols, new symbols, gongs. I I I will go about recording um, those those uh, instruments and creating soundscapes out of them that I can actually then play through some of my keyboards as the actual um, sound of those notes. Sure. And then I might add synthesizers, and so I'm so, so I'm really into like the elements. I'm into you know saying like, well, I'm gonna have some wind, and I'm gonna have some fire, and I'm gonna have some some water, and I'm gonna have some like, you know, and 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 I create that. So 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 it's it's, it's come to be uh, clear to me that that's sort of like summoning. Like I'm like I'm like I might hear something or visualize something, or it's a feeling, and I will find it and I will bring it to a recording. So a lot of my recordings are based on that. But I also have pieces where, like, I might make the whole song myself, and it's rhythmic, or it's like you know, me singing and 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 um, and playing things, but less so because I'm I'm more into I guess what I would consider like mystical music, right? You know? Yeah. So then, what what's next? What are you working on now? Then. So there are a lot of records that have been um, made similar to my radio career which started in 1995 my production career started then too and i i've been involved in a lot of records and it's a lot of fun and uh i'll just shout out some names some projects sure. but um there's a record that came out uh, a few months ago by a great drummer named deanthony parks it's called techno self i was involved in that record a few months before that um a friend of mine named dexter story uh made an album that i uh produced um, called Wyndham that was released by Soundway Records out of London that um, is really celebrating like a lot of his East African influences and, and that's been a really fun record. I've been playing in that band. We're currently working on the Miguel Atwood Ferguson album. Miguel um, has 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 worked with uh, many great artists including someone like Flying Lotus and um, trying to think if, uh, if he's ever worked with some of the other people that you mentioned. Um, his his resume is insane. Um, I wouldn't know, anyways. Yeah. I <laughs> you might. There are a few people you mentioned that I'm like, maybe you would know. But um, and then uh, let's see. Let me not let me not draw a blank. I have a new record coming out at the end of April on Leaving Records under the name sure. Car Carlos Nino and Friends with uh, Matthew. Matthew's releasing it. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Matthew, who I in, love Matthew. In our in our space and time started also at dub lab sure that's how i know him yeah so i don't know exactly where he was before that but i i, I, I don't think he knows yeah <laughs> it's 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 been great um that record features luis perez Ichonetsli, the guy i was telling you about it, it features an elder who i work closely with named yasos um kamasi washington is on that record uh madlib is on that record there's a lot of different people on that record and you know, that's fun. Um, there's a drummer I work closely with named Jemire Williams. I just f finished producing his uh, album, and that, that record is fire. It's, it's, it's really incredible. Well, I, was, I wrote down a question for you, and, and, and it was a very kind of generic question, and usually I, I write them down, but then I don't really use them because it's just kind of based on what you say, and I'm trying to listen as much as I can, and you're giving me a lot of information. But I said, and one of my questions was that you seem to focus on human connection a lot, and then the follow-up question was sort of how do you connect to people these days when everyone's on their phone? And then you were 
really late to the interview and I said, well, why don't I told my girlfriend, Jess, why don't you just call him? She said, well, he doesn't have a cell phone. Right. So <laughs> I, I knew I wasn't going to be here that late, even though I was in like a ton of traffic. But yeah, I had a cell phone in um, 2000 for maybe six months. Yeah. And when I lost it, I said, I will never get another one of these again. And I, and I like cell phones. I mean, like I, 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 I'm not opposed to technology or anything actually while I'm, yeah. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm into it, but I, I just don't need or want to have one. It would have been convenient though. Cause I would have called you at like, you know, like 45 minutes uh, before I was supposed to be here and said, I am in a lot of traffic. I may be running late. <laughs> Um, but nonetheless, I'm here and you guys seem, you know, cool with that. And it, r regard to human connection to me, it, it really is about that. It's about openness. It's about, um, what are our intentions to actually, um, you know, what, what, what kind of, uh, experiences do we want to have together? And being that my life has been so oriented around music and I would consider life itself to be music. I'm I'm interested in 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 making music with people and um it's been uh very easy. I've worked with a lot of my heroes, a lot of uh, elders. I've hosted a lot of them on the radio. I've presented concerts. I've recorded with a lot of them and um yeah, I love it. I just I'm I'm just very thankful and you know, now we're going to have to make music cuz I would I, love that. I also don't know a ton about the music you make and I want to and I kind of feel like it would be easy for us to just sort of figure out how to It'd be fucking killer. how to do something. And I and I appreciate you coming here and and connecting with me because I've run into you a number of times and we've always kind of had these quick kind of conversations but you've always been a super sweet like very warm open person, you know, so it's nice to like finally talk to you well you also happened to work at like <laughs> like like a all place, the places where you eat a place that i was so loving so so it endears me to you know you even more or or maybe it makes me even sweeter because in that moment i'm like yeah two places right yeah right, yeah, yeah yeah um well, and then jessica just real quick i mean i i i met her um also related to dub lab because um, over the years with Dublab, I've kind of come in and out of being very involved and less involved. And I remember that was a year that I was less involved. And I said, hey, you know, if something's coming up that you guys need me for, let me know. And they're like, we need a stage manager for this big show we're doing at the Red Cat with Linda Perhax. Right. They knew I knew who Linda Perhax was. And I was like, all right, cool, I'm in. And that turned into being this spectacular, like, just dream of a wild, crazy you know, night with so and it many continues people, on. so many moving parts, you know, and, and, and Jessica was, was one of the presenters and organizers of that event. And well, we, she's a facilitator and a connector of people as, as you are, you yeah, know? Yeah. So I think you guys relate on that, on that level for sure. Yeah. And I think what we're going to do just because, I mean, that was, that was actually like 45 minutes, which okay. is great. And, okay. and, but I, I, I could, we could, keep going forever except for that you also have to go back to the west side and i have to go to a, i have a audition for a lawn care commercial oh cool in Santa <laughs> great yeah, yeah great. i hope you get it no, I, I do too yeah. well if, if i do we'll, we'll go out we'll get some uh vegan food together um yeah. but uh but what i'm gonna do i think because we didn't get to talk as long as i'd like to is is we'll have you do give us a mix of music and i think that that's actually you know 
as, as interesting as it is to talk to you for people to understand what you're about, like to actually hear some of the music that you are involved with yeah. and love. Yeah. It'd be great. Okay, cool. I'm wondering if I should make a new mix for you. The one I have, since we've talked so much about Dub Lab, and I probably made it like right in the middle of my time on the radio, and it still holds up to me, I think that's probably what I should give you. Well, whatever you give us, it's yeah. going to be a surprise to whoever's listening to it. Yeah, no, 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 it'll be great. I'm just, I'm just saying I want it to represent me properly, and I'm thinking I think that still really does, and it represents what we've touched on in this interview. So Cool. I'd yeah. love it. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Wonderful. Carlos. Yeah, thank you, too. Appreciate it. Cool. So that was Carlos Nino. Um, for those of you uh, keeping track at home, uh, I've yet to get a call back for the uh, lawn care commercial, but that's all right. The, the week is still early, and it's been a holiday, and we had the Super Bowl, so everyone's trying to get their uh, quarterly budgets uh, in order and figure out all that stuff. Thanks, as always, to our producer, Jessica Hunley. Our engineer is Adam Wade. I am your host, Jed Mayhew, and without further ado, we're going to play some music here that Carlos made, uh, uh, a mix uh, that we're going to play on the show here, and you can learn more about him over at dublab.com, so go check it out if, if you like what you hear. As always, thank you for listening. This is Jed Banger's Ball.
Uh, we have DJ and producer Carlos Nino. Nice. Coming in to the podcast. Okay. Jed Banger's Ball. Do you think he'll be comfy sitting in this couch? Yeah, I think so. Okay. I think the print, I think he'll like the print. Yeah. Yeah. We selected it just for him. Yeah, perfect. Okay. Nice. Is, uh, uh, is Jessica coming over today? Yeah, she'll be here. She's uh, driving uh, Dave McFarlane's car right now and loving it. Oh. Loving the experience. He has a European car, doesn't he? Yeah, he has a Beamer All right. BMW. What's wrong with her car? Uh, she also has a BMW, and uh, she's comparing. Well, hers is uh, about little... twenty years old. Right, right. So it's <laughs> the the problem is is that the window uh, will not go up right now. So oh, that's where that's we're at problematic. Yeah, so we got to go to the mechanic tomorrow. Yeah, and, and Dave is out of town, so he left his car with us for uh, like a, like a month because he doesn't have a driveway, and so she's been borrowing it. When, when needed. Nice. Yeah. Well, what time is it? 2.47. Okay. Well, I think our pre-setup uh, is a success here. Sounds great. We're all good. Yeah, I love it. We're ready to roll. Cool.